God, thank you for today. Thank you for the power of music to remind us of your goodness. How many times have we in life experienced your faithfulness? How great you really are. And may we be reminded today of your greatness and your goodness. The times we've witnessed it in the past and the times we look forward to seeing it in the future. God, I ask that you'd speak to us today from your word as I greatly need your empowerment today and I need your, your illumination of the spirit of God with the word of God to equip our hearts to declare your greatness in the world. God, thanks for the text of Daniel and the witness that he is to us today. It's in your name we pray, amen. <coughs> amen, sorry. I needed a couple of moments. Uh, today is just one of those days where the music has... I just needed a second. Uh, just reminded of the goodness and greatness of God and his faithfulness that I've witnessed in my lifetime and um, in ministry in this church of God's goodness. I'm hoping to experience his goodness again this evening around 8 o'clock. <laughs> Quick transition. I don't have to be so serious. Okay, good. Let my emotions go down a little bit. The Lions play tonight. Amen? Amen. So let's just, before we get into God's Word and the spiritual stuff, let's just take a poll quick. How many of you think that we're going to be victorious tonight by the raise of your hands? Now, you don't just get to not raise your hand. Those of you who think we're going to lose, I want you to boldly raise your hand. There's always a few. There's always a few. Now, one last thing. How many of you in this room, or if you're watching online, you can raise your hand at home. The Spirit of God will see you. How many of you will be rooting for Matthew Stafford? Please come forward and give your life to Jesus. I hope they rip his head off. I mean, I love him, but I'm just saying, he plays for somebody else. It's just the way it is, you know? Uh, no, it's going to be fun. 30 years is a long time, so hopefully uh, we can all be celebrating next Sunday, and um, those who doubted can come forward to the altar after the service. I'm excited to open up God's Word with you today. If you want to turn to Daniel chapter 2 with me, <coughs> excuse me, Daniel chapter 2. Uh, Last Sunday, we started a new series on the book of Daniel, just looking at the first six or seven chapters of Daniel to see the relevance for it for our lives as we live out, not exactly, but in a similar way, what Daniel and his companions experienced in their time. And today, we continue, if you remember last Sunday, we, we opened up in Daniel chapter 1, where in the beginning we read of Daniel and his companions, what we know the best as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the coffee place in town. 
And, and, and in those guys doing life together, they're taken into captivity. Just a reminder, if you weren't here last Sunday, and they are uh, brought in as some of the best of the best of the Israelite people, and, and they're want to, they want to utilize them. Nebuchadnezzar wants to utilize them for his now kingdom, and, and he wants the best and the brightest. And so they're instructed for three years. And in that process, Daniel, looking at the culture, and we, I don't have time to get in and recap the whole message, but decides like, hey, this isn't best for us, and we're going to stand up for what we believe what God has called us to. And against all odds, they take vegetables and water and somehow become fatter than everyone else and more uh, be- better uh, equipped for what they've been called to do. Then at the end of the three years, they are smarter than everyone. They know more than anyone else in all of the kingdom because God is so good in partnering with his people, he doesn't abandon them even in captivity. And today, the same is true for us as we live out. The question I had you wrestle with last Sunday is how do we stay faithful to the kingdom of God in a culture that many times and seemingly is anti to the things that we believe is no, uh, and know as good and right and true. And it starts with dependence and it starts on, on, on going to God and knowing that he is able to fulfill all that we have been asked to fulfill in the world around us. And today really is no greater. I just want you to take away one thing from today in all that you read in the text of the 40-some verses that I have to get through today. I want you to remember that God is greater today. God is greater than everything that you will experience in this life. God is greater. He's greater than, than all that Daniel and his companions came up against in his time And God is the same today as he is greater. And I just ask you today just to wrestle with that question. Do you believe that what you experience in a day-to-day life, and I'm not just talking about culture, I'm talking about what you experience with trying to raise children, young people, what you experience in your high schools or your colleges or your middle schools, uh, married couples that are trying to wrestle through the thing called marriage that's maybe one of the most challenging things in life or, or just the workplace or wherever you find yourself, do you believe that God is greater than the circumstances we're walking in? I hope you do. Because how you respond to that question, and it's not an, an audible response, it's a heart response. I, I wanted you to audibly respond, but it's more of a heart thing because I can say it with my mouth all day. The difference is, is do I believe it enough that it impacts the way I live in my marriage, the way I live in, in, in raising my children and believing that God is greater than the culture that's coming against my kids? believing that God is greater than everything we see around us, that it seems like everything's going the opposite direction, the kingdom of God moving forward, do I believe God is greater? And if I do, then it will, it will affect how I live and function and interact with the world around me like Daniel unequivocally believes God is greater than even the most powerful man in the entire world. And it changes things. And so today, I'm going to do my best to get through a ton of Scripture. And I just want you to see a few ways in which God is greater in Daniel's time, and the same is true today as God does not change. So we're going to start in Daniel chapter 2, 
verse 1. I just want to read the first six verses to open and give you a little context. It says this, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Excuse me. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Anybody, anybody ever been there where your sleep leaves you? You just staring at the ceiling? This is Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king, of, king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me all the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb to limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. So just to start out, the context is, that he has a dream. And in ancient times, kings were believed to particularly get messages from God. And so this is what he's thinking in the moment, that I'm getting a message from God, but I don't understand it. I'm losing sleep over it. He remembers enough that it's helping, it's, it's allowing him to lose sleep in what he remembers of his dreams. I don't know what kind of person you are. I know people that remember every detail of the dream, and I can't remember the faintest thing I dreamed about, but I know that it was sketchy or something, right? So maybe that's him. He's like, you tell me my dream and the interpretation here. And so he calls in all of his spiritual advisors and surely the, the sorcerers and chanters and priests and psychics and all the people that he had could, could settle the terror that he felt. That's what he thought. And they responded with a logical question. Hey, that's great. We're here. This is what our job is. But can you tell us your dream so we can give you an interpretation? And they asked a number of times, but he, he only responds back, man, no, if you can't tell me my dream, I need to know that you are authentic in telling me. So the only way I can determine that is if you tell me my dream and the interpretation, then I will know that you are legit. And if not, off with your heads, limb to limb, homes down, it's over. So you got to imagine these guys are pretty upset and overwhelmed. So we're going to jump down to verse 13. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. So really, also them. So really, um, Daniel, if you didn't know, I didn't say it last week, is somewhere people believe anywhere from like 15 to no more than 20 years old. Think about that for a moment. That's a young person living out the kingdom of God here and because of their youth, they were probably, even though they passed the three years, if you are here last week, and they were better than everyone else, they're pretty low on the totem pole to being called in. So even though they weren't called in and they weren't able to do it, however, they're still a part of the group that's being condemned and is now going to be killed because they can't interpret the dream and um, know the dream. And so Daniel asks for an extension. Give me an extension so I can find my friends and we can figure this out. Now that's fascinating to me personally. Daniel has been ripped from his home. Israel has been overthrown, Jerusalem. They are now in captivity, being forced against their own will. Why in the world would Daniel think that God would come to his rescue in his time of need? 
I just felt like when I was studying, the Spirit of God has a word for somebody in this room. Because so many times in our lives as followers of Jesus, we are like, you know what? God allowed me to get cancer. I can't depend on God anymore in these circumstances. Man, God allowed me to not have children, and I'm wrestling through that. So God is no longer faithful. God has allowed me to, to walk through unbelievable circumstances of my husband cheating on me or my wife, and they've left me. God is no longer faithful. And I just want you to know today, no matter your circumstances, God is still faithful. And it's hard to understand and believe and know and trust. But like the text today, many times God allows you to walk into those circumstances so that you can trust his faithfulness so that you can be seen as a, a kingdom person walking in brokenness and still in full dependence of the God of the universe. you got to imagine being stripped from your home, forced against your own will, in captivity. They have every reason to distrust the faithfulness of God, and yet that is the place where they find God's faithfulness the most. And I just want to tell you today, or if you're online, if you're in the midst of trouble those are the places where God wants you to trust the most and his faithfulness is seen the most. And so they go to God. They say, man, we need you. So we just see here in the first, seven, uh, first couple of verses, 17 through 19, read with me, the first thing that God is greater. Look with me in verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mich uh, Mishael, and Azariah. These are their, if you weren't here last week, the Jewish names, not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, probably a dream, much like Nebuchadnezzar, then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. See, the first thing you see here is that God is greater. God is greater. His wisdom is greater. God's wisdom is greater than that of the world. It's fascinating. We'll look at it. Daniel and his friends believe <coughs> this. They believe that God's wisdom is greater than all of the astrologers and sorcerers and all of these different people, which ironic is because they have been brought in for three years. They've been learning what the Babylonians know. They learn the best wisdom, and now they're at the point of death, and because the Babylonian wisdom isn't working, they go to God. And, and it's, not, it's not small potatoes. When you can look in history, and, and the, the, the astrologers alone of this time calculated movements of the moon and the stars and planets and, and comets. They were smart people. And they're saying in all of that, they are limited in their wisdom because only God has heavenly wisdom to do what we are being asked to do. And so what's their first point? What's their first thing they do? They don't get together and be like, man, we got to figure it out. The first thing they do is go to God in prayer. Number one, man, we got to have wisdom that is not of this world, and we're not going to get it from this world. So we got to go to some other place, and their only other place is the wisdom of God. And so they pray, and they ask God to reveal wisdom to them, and in response, God's so good that he does. Look with me in verses 20 to 23. Daniel answered and said, 
Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Okay, just I want you to pay attention there. Like I talked about last week, God is all sovereign. He puts kings in places and he knocks down kings. To the, <coughs> excuse me, he, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God, my, the God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what is asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. So immediately after knowing this, Daniel, he blesses the God with thanksgiving. He, he blesses Yahweh like you are the best because he's a God who reveals. He reveals his wisdom and his plan and his purposes to Daniel because they're in need. And they go to him and say, man, we need your wisdom. And the same thing's true for us today. In the cultural nuances that you're living out every single day, just like Daniel, the, the way you're trying to live out the kingdom of God in the places you do life you need wisdom that is not of this world. Do you know what the Bible says in the New Testament era? James 1.5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, what? Who gives generously without reproach, and it will be given him. I just want to let you know, as a child of God, you may not be asked to interpret um, a president's dreams but as you walk through life and need the heavenly wisdom of God to walk through life and all that he has for you, man, you're invited by the God of the universe to come and seek wisdom as how live out the kingdom of God. Man, as a follower of Jesus, even further than that, you have the mind of Christ. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus here today, you have the mind of Christ and you have the spirit of God living in you, revealing spiritual hidden truths that you otherwise would never know. It's exactly what 1 Corinthians says. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is, who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God, and we might impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I just tell you today, this is the promise of God. His wisdom is greater, and he is a God who reveals. <clears throat> I hesitate sharing this illustration because I want you to uh, know my heart in it. I know for a fact that God is a God who reveals because I've witnessed it, like we sang. A number of years ago, um, you all know I took a sabbatical. I was off church for about three months, two months in the summertime, and I spent a lot of time just seeking the face of God and spending time alone with him. And it was one of the first times in my life where I had what you would call as a vision. And I, again, I say I hesitate to share this because I don't know what theological framework you come from, but I believe in a God who reveals and I was in Montana, and I was on the side of a river, and my family was staying there camping, tent camping, and I would get up each morning and sit by the river. I'd read the Bible for a while, and then I would just sit and just allow the silence and the, 
Spirit of God to reveal himself. And one morning, I heard the Lord say a word to me. And I can't tell you how I heard that, but I heard it. God didn't open up the heavens, and you know, like I always joke about, oh, Jim, and he shares this one word with me. But he gave me a word, and I had no clue what that meant. And I wrestled with that. I wrestled with it for a while. I was off a couple months in the summer, and I'd be golfing just by myself, and I'd just be like, God, what in the world did that mean? And just nothing. And I'm like, maybe I just had too much pizza the night before, and I don't, I don't know. Like, I've never experienced anything like this before. And I was driving down the road probably six months later, and I asked the Lord, or the Lord asked me, in a moment I'm just driving, listening to music, and he said, pull over. And I pulled over. And he said, close your eyes. And in a moment, God revealed exactly what that word meant as I found myself in a Bible story that was from the word of God, that God had a word for me, revealed six months later. For some reason, there was a waiting time of dependence, but God, in a moment, in a vision, gave me a personal word. It's not for you, it's for me. In a moment. And it lined perfectly with the word of God. And I'm here to tell you today that God is a God who reveals. He wants to impart wisdom, and it was wisdom for me. He wants to share with you from the word of God, not out some crazy thing. I know that there is a reason I hesitate to share it because I don't want us to go off the deep end. It definitely has to line up with the word of God and find its place in the word of God. And I just want to tell you that God is here today to reveal from the word through his spirit. I'll just ask you today, in the world that you're living in, are you going to God for wisdom? As you deal with people, try to make moral decisions, choosing a path of, uh, of life for yourself, as you try to understand your identity and relating with God or, or this, that, and the other. Man, I, I just want to ask, are you going to the Lord for wisdom, for revelation from the word of God? Are you accepting the invitation to boldly go before the throne of grace and a God who imparts wisdom? Or are you getting all of your wisdom from reasoning or your counselor or social media influence or the latest self-help book that wants to share you some, some other thing and tell you how to live your better life and pick yourself up by your bootstraps? Or are you going to the word of God, God himself, for the wisdom you need to walk through everyday life? Because God's wisdom is much greater God's kingdom is greater. Look with me in verse 26. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen its interpretation? It's, have seen and its interpretation. Now, Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, and astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Amen? And he has made known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, that will be in the later days, your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. We'll just stop right there for a moment. 
Daniel here then describes the dream, which we'll get to in a moment. The king saw this huge statue and it had a head of gold, a chest of silver, thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet that are mixed of iron and clay. And then he saw this huge stone cut out of a mountain without human hands struck the statue's feet. And the entire image, the entire statue comes crashing down. And the crushing stone became a great mountain that actually fills the earth. So you have a statue made of different materials and a a huge stone not cut with human hands. And it smashes the statue and becomes a mountain that fills the earth. The earth, and then Daniel gives his interpretation. Now, there is so much in this right here that we could camp on in, but I'm just going to go through it quickly. He says this, The golden head represents you, Nebuchadnezzar. Another kingdom inferior to you will come after you, and after that a third and a fourth will be strong as iron, and that kingdom will divide and lose its strength. Look what it says in verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Amen? Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall, be, it shall stand forever. Just as you saw, that stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke into pieces the iron the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. So you look at it. Babylon was truly a world empire rightly recognized as gold. And this dream that he interprets and he's heard insists that its rise was the work of God. I didn't read the text, but in verse 37 and 38 it says, the God of heaven has given, this is what he says to Nebuchadnezzar, the God of heaven has given you power. In your hands he placed mankind, like all of mankind, most powerful man in the world, he has made you ruler. I, I, I said it last Sunday, and I want you to understand this and reiterate this. God is all sovereign. There is no person in the world today that is in an office outside of the hand of God. God puts people in power. God takes out people of power. How we understand that is a whole nother bag of worms that we could walk through. But I just want you to see throughout scripture, God is sovereign. He's in control. And he says to Nebuchadnezzar, who's not a good dude, I put you in power. You're a king because I put you there. And that's it. And you look at it. i got to walk through this quickly, but each is inferior to the subsequent empire, right? And and there's a diminishing materials, right, from gold and bronze and silver. However, historians actually describe the kingdoms as larger than the previous ones and some much larger. So you walk through it. Most scholars agree on identifying these kingdoms as this. Golden Babylon is at the top. It existed for 65 years and was replaced. You can read in history about this. The Medo persian Empire described as silver. Then the bronze is pictured as the Greek Empire. The statue's legs depicted as the Roman Empire, which was divided into the East and West divisions. What's fascinating is the striking accuracy of this prediction on how human history played out. Thousands of years earlier predicted, and it played out exactly. Man, 
There is tons of this in Scripture for you to believe the validity and accuracy of Scripture and what is said here. But don't miss the point. The rule in the kingdom of God is the point here. It's symbolized in this huge rock that no human hand has ever formed. And the kingdom of God of divine origin conquers all other kingdoms. There's no doubt. Uh, doubt that this rock is literally dreamed about is Jesus Christ himself described by Simon Peter in 1 Peter when he says the stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall you see the mountain and the dream is the kingdom of God what we're living out what we're living in and the reign of Christ will fulfill the entire earth. You see, Daniel's looking forward to what would come in Christ. He didn't fully understand it or know it, but God was revealing to him. So I just ask you, man, when you experience life hardships, the struggle that it is to live out kingdom purposes in the world we're living in today, when you, first, when, when you experience dark times, and it seems like darkness is gaining ground in the world around us, how do you respond? Where does your mind go? Where does your heart go? Because I'm here to tell you that the God of heaven who sent uh, his son Jesus, made without human hands, to conquer the greatest enemy in Satan and overthrow all of the darkness gives me confidence to live out everyday life because I am a part of the winning team, the kingdom of God. And we can have confidence in living out that I don't have to, man, I don't have to look at the world around me and be like, you know what? I don't know. Everything's just kind of going sideways. No, I'm a part of the kingdom of God, the rock who breaks all other kingdoms and will be fulfilled in the future. The question for you, whether in the room or online, is are you a part of the kingdom of God? As you sit here today, this morning, are you a part of the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is not, uh, you're not a part of the kingdom of God because you attend Woodside Bible Church or the Catholic Church up the road or some other church in the road or, or the Pentecostal Church or the Presbyterian Church or the Episcopalian Church. I don't care what church. It's not about a church attendance. You're a part of the kingdom of God only because of one reason, because you've placed your faith and trust in the rock who shatters all other kingdoms. So are you a part of the kingdom of God. And if not today, man, 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 respond to what God has done, what God done, has done through Christ in overthrowing all other kingdoms by giving his life on the cross and, and not just staying there, but rising victoriously to life so that now I can live when all other kingdoms will not. Place your faith and trust in Jesus. Are you a part of the kingdom? Because, man, with Jesus as king, man, we can face every challenge and have trust and confidence that we are okay. I'll just give you some examples. Examples, Man, when elections, whatever side you're on, when elections don't seem to go your way, the king of heaven has everything in his hands. Do you believe that? Okay, cool. So in the next year, let's act like it. I'm serious. Let's act like it. And... When your kids or your grandkids are really struggling, we can pray with confidence, knowing that Christ's reign 
is greater than the influences in their lives. We can know that. Man, when there's a sin in your life that you just can't overcome or break, we can go to God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and pray and beg and depend on for victory, knowing that he is the King of kings. He has the kingdom that breaks all else. And be reminded, as the Apostle Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Amen? Because his kingdom is greater. Well, not only that, God is greater than all authority. Look with me in verse 27. (coughs) Excuse me. The king answered and said, Daniel... This is Nebuchadnezzar's response. Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. You see, God's greater than all authorities. He comes in through Daniel and represents God that men, all of your people, the smartest people you have in the most powerful kingdom in the entire world, are not better than God himself. He's greater than any authority. When the king encounters this unbelievable, really miraculous demonstration of God's superiority and wisdom, he, he, he declares literally in a moment the powerful truth that would ring out through the ages that you are God of gods, capital G to little g, Lord, capital L of lowercase kings. You are God of gods. You are Lord of kings. Now, I don't think personally this is a profession of Nebuchadnezzar trusting in Christ. I don't think that. I think he's just responding, yet it's an acknowledgement that is essential to becoming a follower of Jesus, that you are king of kings, you are Lord of yours, you are God of gods, meaning there is no other God. You are the only God, right? But here, I, I just am baffled that some young man under 20 years old, probably more like 15 years old, Daniel watches in his presence the most powerful person in all the world embrace the key idea that God is greater than everyone else. Yahweh, the God of heaven, is the greatest. How unbelievable in a moment is this? Young people in the room, I just want to tell you, you can say all you want, how can I change the world? A guy like Daniel literally changed the face of the world as a 15-year-old standing before the greatest, most powerful human maybe on earth at that time, and he did it not because he was smarter, he got great grades in school, he went to certain college, he was the greatest athlete, he did it because he believed God was greater. Man, this is how we change the world. This is it. As much as we should be involved in the political sphere and we should be involved in world events, that is not going to change the world. What's going to change the world is when we finally take God at his word and we believe that he's greater than everything else. No matter our age, no matter where we come from, no matter our finances, no matter what, we believe that God is greater and we start taking him at his word. Even standing before the most powerful person in the world, this is how we change the world. 
We change the world not by arguing on social media about political stuff or arguing on social media about stuff that people don't believe because they're not followers of Jesus or or misrepresenting God. We change the world by living out the kingdom of God before the world. We change the world by actually showing the world what we actually believe. Daniel didn't just say, I believe that God is greater than everyone else. Have a great day. No, Daniel, at some 15 to 20 years old, a young man stood before the most powerful man in the world and said, my God is greater than you. And he changed history. Oh, that the church would understand that we will change the world when we finally start taking God at his word and living out what we actually believe rather than arguing about it. Living out what we actually believe in a world that desperately needs it. When we begin to trust God that he's greater, we begin to courageously seek the Lord because he wants to reveal to us the word that he has for us to live out the kingdom of God. And when we begin to believe that God is actually in control, he's not up there floundering because his candidate didn't get an office or some world power across the ocean is doing something that he doesn't know about. No, God is firmly rested in, I've got this whole thing figured out. I'll tell you what, the church, when it begins to gravitate, that even in good times and bad times, when I am oppressed by another kingdom, when my values are not their values, when they hate me for no other reason than I hold up the name of Jesus. When we begin to take the Lord at his word, trust that he is greater than anything we will come up against, that is when we will start to see spiritual movement in the world around us. I asked you at the beginning, do you believe that God is greater And I ask you now just to wrestle with, do you believe that God is greater? Because I do. I don't always live that way, unfortunately. But I believe that God can change the face of the world one person at a time as we live out the greatness of God, and many times greatness is not seen in power, it's seen in submission and love, just like you see in Daniel, you see in Jesus, and most other people in the scriptures. But I'm just praying that we as the people of God, just in this community, this is all we can control. In this community, in this church family, that we would Man, when when I'm living out the kingdom of God and I have wisdom, the first thing I do is go to God because he has wisdom that no other person has. Before I call my best friend, before I read the next book on parenting, before I figure out how to be a Christian businessman or woman, I go to God first and ask the Lord to reveal. And I begin to take him at his word, believing that he's greater than anything I come against. And when I believe that, it doesn't mean he's going to do everything I say. 
It doesn't mean I won't be persecuted. It doesn't mean I won't be taken into captivity like Daniel. It doesn't mean I won't lose my job. It doesn't mean we won't have wayward children. It doesn't mean that everything will be perfect. It just means that I believe and trust God because God has a greater story that he's crafting that I cannot even see, that Daniel couldn't see, but we get to see because we get to look back. May we be the people of God that take God at his word. Let's pray together. God, thanks for the powerful story of Daniel. Lord, forgive me for my emotion today. And may it not hinder from what you want to reveal to your people in this place or online. God, my heart breaks for the a world that doesn't get to see and experience a God that is greater, that doesn't experience you, Lord. And so, God, I ask that you would move in the people in this room, some few hundred people, whoever's online, that we would be your people in a world that desperately needs to see you, that we wouldn't see the culture around us, the world around us as enemies. We would see them as people that you've called us to reveal the kingdom of God to you, that you've called us to show that you're greater, that you've called us to live out the purposes and plans of the kingdom of God. And when we step into that, Lord, I'm asking in the name of Jesus for you to do the miraculous, for you to give us visions that you would lead and guide and direct us in ways that are unexplainable, that you would give us responses in a moment, that you'd change the hearts of individuals we interact with, that you would woo our kids to follow after you, that you would mend and repair marriages that might be seen by coworkers and families. It's only a miraculous thing because they could have never experienced that outside the kingdom of God. And so, God, I'm just asking for your spirit's reign in our hearts and our lives that we would be your people and represent you well in the kingdom of God. Help us, God. We stink. I am not good at this. Empower us. Give us faith to live out your kingdom. And in all of this, God, we ask for spiritual movement in our places of work, in our families, in the world around us because we're doing our best to live faithful for the kingdom that is greater than every other kingdom. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.